Hello, and welcome to The Quill and Sword, a podcast series offered by the Judge Advocate General Legal Center and School designed to explore legal challenges from across the JAG Corps' core competency. Today, the Joint Multinational Readiness Center welcomes Major Ina Zavarotko from the Ministry of Defense, and she works in the International Humanitarian Law Distribution Section. Ina, thank you for joining us. Can you explain what international humanitarian law distribution means. Hello, thank you for invitation. From the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense perspective, uh, we are working on international law distribution or dissemination, which includes different forms of that. This is concrete parts and models which we have in military training on IHL. And also this is different type of materials which we try to use like soldier's guard, etc. to distribute IHL knowledge within the armed forces of Ukraine. And why is international humanitarian law distribution so important to the armed forces of Ukraine? IHL distribution is quite important for any country, for any state and for any armed forces. But especially if you are part of the international armed conflict, this obligation becomes more visible and more important for you. Except, first of all, this is an international law obligation to disseminate IHL within your own forces. And Ukraine as a state uh, took that obligation by ratifying uh, all four Geneva Conventions and two additional protocols. Secondly, and this is more pragmatic approach, the big amount of the support which Ukraine receiving uh, today from the USA and other partner states is very depending on the IHL dissemination and how we follow and our own forces follow IHL, because donating equipment and weapon and stuff like that uh, requires following of IHL from the armed forces who are going to use such equipment from other states. So that's why this is an international obligation for Ukraine, but this is also a pragmatic approach for the armed forces who are in the active ongoing international armed conflict. And you just explained a kind of a strategic level reason to follow the international humanitarian law, um, but do your soldiers understand why it's so important to follow the law and and what do you, what efforts are you taking to ensure that they understand that that's really a good question because in the situation when your enemy commits atrocities war crimes and all other stuff this is quite difficult for any person to understand why do i need to follow international law and international obligations if my enemy does not do that so this is a hard part of the of, of the whole situation and of the whole story but personally i and my colleagues we use set of arguments for the tactical level and the tactical level for the soldiers, why do they need to follow IHL? And first one, which we usually uh, use, this is that IHL is very organic law. This is not something created independently from nothing. IHL have been been IHL or have been separate rules for a long period of time. And if you're just a normal human being, most obviously that you will not violate IHL rules in a serious way. So the first, with what I'm usually studying with every soldier, is that IHL is an organic one. And 
most probably you are following IHL even without without knowing that this is IHL, uh, right? Like killing civilians or children or rapes and other stuff. This is something unnormal for just a human being, but this is something prohibited by IHL as well. So the the next argument is that closely related to the first one is that you are not Russians and you are not such more in such morality as your enemy. So if you will try, if you will go to atrocities and the breaches of IHL, you will be on the same conditions and on the same level as your enemy. And this is one of the best arguments which works for Ukrainian soldiers. Like, you are not Russians, that's why you are following IHL. Because this is a values for which you are fighting and you sacrifice your life for that. There is some pragmatic arguments as well, especially they on the issue of POWs and why you need to capture them. Even in the highly stressed situation, every soldier needs to understand that this potential, this POW, this is a potential Ukrainian soldier which we can exchange and he can, he or she can come back uh, to Ukraine. Part of the pragmatic approach is also support, international support, support of international community. And we are talking not only about weapon and equipment, which is quite important, definitely, but we are talking also about political support and diplomatic support, which we do have right now. And it's quite important for every soldier to understand that if he or she violates IHL, that can have a long-term circumstances for the state, not only for him or her, himself or herself. And obviously the last one, this is responsibility, IHL violation, this is uh, an offense according to the penal code of Ukraine and this is an international crime which can be charged by other states and international tribunals and ICC as well. One of the things, you mentioned POWs, and one of the things that we've talked about and that I think is really amazing is is the programs that you've set up for POWs and and the information and, frankly, care with which the Ukrainians are treating Russian POWs. So much so that, at least in the American news, it's often portrayed that Russians are surrendering because they know that they'll be treated better in Ukrainian hands than by their own commanders in their army. Do you think that's a particularly, or does that resonate with your soldiers? Yeah, establishing the policy on treatment of POWs, this is one of the core issues and one of the core policies for Ukraine. So the good treatment or the treatment which is required by Geneva Convention, the third, gives for us not only the obeying to obligations, but also the opportunity to show that if you want to surrender, nothing bad will happen with you as a POW because we have the whole system specially established for POW. POW treatment. Uh, we have changed our legislation to ensure that POWs receiving the treatment which is required by international law and international obligations. More than that, we also establish, as you said, separate programs which allow you as um, Russian military, even being in the territory of Russia, claim that you would like to surrender as soon as you enter the Ukraine. So you can use that opportunity even being in the training center somewhere on the territory of Russian Federation. These are different tools which Ukraine used to show that 
we have values and we are going to stand for them even if we are dealing with the enemy and the enemy soldier. And as soon as Russian soldiers understand that, this is also about their morality, their readiness to surround and to be sure that they will be treated in the right way with a phone call to his family, to his or her family, with warm clothes during the winter, etc., etc. This program is really very interesting. Its name, Want to Live. This is like a concrete website which you can Google and you can find the certain steps you need to do in the way to surround them. And we do have cases when family members were pushing them their brothers or husbands who are Russian militaries to use that program. And this is something very impressive. This is how gender perspective can be useful even on the stages when military is only on the training center before they enter in Ukraine. I think that that really highlights it, that your treatment of POWs is so good that Russian brothers and mothers are pushing their family members to surrender to you. That's really a pretty impressive win for your POW program. On the topic of POWs, we discussed some of the challenges, though, that you've faced in training your soldiers on the treatment of POWs based on Russian tactics. Can you describe perfidy and, and kind of what tactics the Russians have used to make it more difficult for you to train Ukrainian soldiers on properly caring for and treating POWs? Yeah, that's a very important issue because we are standing on the positions that except of IHL dissemination, you need to put in a Ukrainian context in it. The context of the international armed conflict shows that Russian forces broadly use perfidy as a tool to commit a war crime and as a tool to perform an attack on Ukrainian soldiers. And that's why just teaching and training our soldiers how to behave when a person intends to surround, according to Geneva Convention 3rd, it's not enough. We need to show the reality and we need to say that there are many cases of perfidy and our soldiers should be aware about that when they have a Russian soldier who is intending to surround by raising his or her hands. So what we usually say that you need to take that into account because Russians can raise the white flag and commit a crime. They can raise their hands and commit a crime. I'm more than sure that you have seen and all your audience have seen that video when 10 people of Russian soldiers decided to surround and the last one opened the fire and all of them become dead. There were many talks in media as well about the war crime committed in that particular situation. And yes, there was a war crime, but from the Russian side, and that was a perfidy. This case was under investigation investigation within the Ministry of Defense, and this case is under the criminal investigation with the law enforcement agencies of Ukraine also. So our soldiers have a request of understanding certain steps that should be done from their side when they have a person who is intended to surrender, and we try to make it as practical as it possible to make sure that provisions of Geneva Conventions are in place, but also the security and safety of our soldiers is also ensured. We need to understand that the role of the armed forces and the Ministry of Defense is quite limited in the whole process and in the whole system of POW treatment. So soldiers and armed forces are responsible only for the stage of capturing the soldier, the Russian soldier, and 
transferring him or her to the next stage. That's why the Ministry of Defense and Legal Department concentrate all efforts on delivering and disseminating IHL on the issue concerning the capturing of POW, making sure that they receive first aid, water, and all other stuff, but also taking into account that uh, many cases of perfidy and your particular case can be one of them. The situation you described, you know, the example where the 10 Russians had surrendered, I do think I saw a video on this, and right at the end, when the video cuts out, you can see a Russian soldier pop out from around the corner, and that's where you're saying the Russian soldier opened fire, and then the soldiers on the ground also start to react at that point. We call in the United States, and I think broadly now internationally, we've coined the term lawfare. And that's when your enemy uses your compliance with the law of armed conflict against you. And that's what exactly what you just described there is where there's kind of a fake surrender to allow someone to maneuver into position and then open up on your own troops. So I imagine that's quite hard to help train the lowest level soldier then on how to capture POWs while ensuring their own safety. Do you have any thoughts on that? Firstly, yes, that's quite difficult to do. And the difficult also come when such cases appear to be in the informational domain. Because very often these are cases of propaganda and used as propaganda by the Russian Federation side. So what we had, like basic norms and basic rules which we are delivering for our soldier, this is if the Russian soldier, if the enemy intended to surround and showed you a sign of that, like a white flag or raised his hands, you cannot shoot him. This is a point where you need to stop shooting and you need to evaluate the situation, taking into account your own safety as well. So then the process of captivity starts. The enemy is still not under your overall control. That's why the the first thing is to stop shooting, then to search the soldier to make sure that he or she doesn't have any weapon, grenades, or whatever else that can be used against the Ukrainian soldier. Then obviously when he or she come under your control, you can tie the hands, deliver first aid if it's necessary, give water again if it's necessary, and if according to the circumstances you can do that and evacuate such soldiers, such POW, as soon as it is possible to the places which are designated by commander. Actually, this is the end of the soldier's role. He or she is not doing interrogation. This is a task of another military. So we are teaching them to follow Geneva Convention provisions on this stage of capturing the soldier, but again taking into account many cases of perfidy and thinking about own safety during the such actions. Earlier you mentioned the concept of soldier's card. Can you and I know the U.S. military uses that as a way to inculcate different values in our soldiers, values that help ensure compliance with the law of armed conflict. Can you tell me a little bit about what's on your soldier's cards? Yeah, it was a pleasure. So the soldier card, this is like a very basic tool which contains basic IHL rules that everyone needs to follow. They really very, very basic, like distinguishing between civilians and combatants and what you can do, whom you can kill and whom you cannot kill. This is a plastic card both sides with basic rules, as I said, and ideally every soldier needs to have it to make sure that in the circumstances when it's needed, he can just review the card and remind yourself, himself of yourself, what 
as a rules and how he or she needs to act. And the interesting fact, from the full-scale invasion, the number of the foreigners in the armed forces of Ukraine increased. So we face the issue that we need to distribute materials on IHL, not only in Ukrainian, but in English as well. Foreigners have been serving in the armed forces of Ukraine till 2004. 15, so before the full-scale invasion, but the number of them was not so huge. So after 2022, we started to distribute materials in English as well. So the soldier card was translated into English and was distributed among those foreigners who are part of the armed forces of Ukraine now. And the card is actually an annex to the MOD order on IHL implementation in the armed forces of Ukraine. So this is something very concrete and very official. It can be found on the official website as well and of the parliament and on the official site of the MOD also. We're going to wrap up here in just a second, but I want to just kind of open the floor to you for any thoughts for the pull and sword audience here. This is the first time the representatives of the legal service of the armed forces of Ukraine are coming to your audience. So that's quite important for us and quite interesting experience for us as well. And that would be great if such material will be interesting for your audience. So it means that we can continue our cooperation and we can address those issues which are particularly interesting for your audience. And we are happy to share our own experience because as we believe and as the whole world can see, unfortunately, we are gaining a unique experience in the lawfare as well. In one of the most recent international armed conflicts, which is occurring in the center of the Europe. Ina, thank you for your thoughtful insights. I'm confident that our audience will appreciate your perspective. And we absolutely look forward to future episodes. For our audience, please follow The Quill and Sword on your favorite podcast platform and be on the lookout for our next weekly episode. By following The Quill and Sword, audience members will access all the podcast content from the Judge Advocate Journal's Legal Center and School, including Criminal Law Presents and National Security Law Unscripted. Stay ready. Views expressed or implied on this podcast are those of participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the U.S. Army JAG Corps or other organizations with which the participants are associated or by whom they are employed.